let's just celebrate that for a moment today. <clears throat> Grab your Bibles, if you would. Let's go to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're continuing our series called A Disciple's Journey is where we're, we're looking at five dispositions of a disciple of Jesus. This helps us uh, fulfill the mission that God has given us. And this morning, we're going to look at what it means to become a Bible-open disciple, a Bible-open disciple. What does it mean to live with our Bibles open? Being a Bible-open disciple literally means for us uh, to be biblically grounded, biblically grounded. And this is crucial for us in the day and time in which we live. We live in a chaotic culture, amen? Like we live in a crazy culture where there is all kinds of, in the information age that we're in, information being pumped out into our minds that direct us on how to live and how to think and what our life should be about and what positions we should have on everything from morality issues to gender issues to social issues. And every single day we're bombarded with all kinds of information being, we're being flooded with. And if we're not careful, we're gonna get swept up into what culture says about life. And when that happens, we get real lost in a hurry, amen? And, um, and we don't want that. So Pastor Matt and I told you a little bit ago, we got to go to New York this week. And, and so meeting with Pastor Jim was an amazing part. And being with Pastor Matt in, uh, in, in New York was fun as well. But I want you to imagine just for a moment the scene of Pastor Matt and I. Uh, I'm from Camden, Arkansas, not known for its you know, beautiful culture and you know, artistry. And then Matt is from Cason, Texas. And if you don't know where Cason, Texas is, if you go to the metropolis of Dangerfield, it's a small community outside Dangerfield. So if you come from a small community outside Dangerfield, listen, the hillbillies have come to New York. I promise you. And so like, they didn't know what to do with our accent. They had nothing, like they, we, they were, we were confusing people. We would talk and, and we couldn't understand what they were saying. Uh, and it was, uh, some moments were very wheels off for us. However, um, uh, here's what we did. It says we would go places, so millions of people, hundreds and thousands of streets trying to see all of the sites. We would have gotten lost in a hurry if we were just going and asking random, random people for direction because they couldn't understand us. We couldn't understand them and they would give us direction and we would end up lost. So what we did is we went to our faithful phones and we pulled out the Maps app. Anybody thankful for that? Uh, my kids, we were talking one day on a trip about the Maps app and I said, uh, we didn't always have this. Like, we, like how in the world did we ever get around, right? Like we had this big sheet of paper and we were drawing our, our routes out. And, and, but Pastor Matt and I, we got the app out and here's what we would do. We would put our destination in and then we would listen to the voice that would navigate us and direct us to whatever place. And we got there as long as we followed the direction given to us on the app. And this is really what I mean when I say we've got to become a Bible-open disciple, being biblically grounded. If we're not careful, as we navigate through life, trying to live the life that God has called us to live, if we're listening to the voices of culture, we're going to end up getting lost. But God has given us his word so that as we follow his word and listen to his voice and walk abiding in the spirit, being knees down, eyes up, and Bible open, we can live the life that God has called us to live as disciples. And so that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. So 2 Timothy chapter three, we're actually gonna focus our sermon on verses 16 and 17, but I wanna make sure we get the context because uh, 16 and 17 are powerful, but if we miss the context, we'll miss the power of why this is so significant for our lives. So we're actually gonna start in chapter three, verse one. So if you're there, say the Bible is true. Here's what the scripture says. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come difficult times. 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parent, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Listen to this. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Now, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, his, his young disciple, and he is encouraging him in the, in the day in which he lived is chaotic. But how much like today do these verses sound? Like it's like Paul is writing a description of our culture today. And here is what Paul is reminding Timothy and he's reminding us is that culture is not drifting more toward God, it's drifting further away from him. That culture and, and the nature of the fallen world is not as if we're, we're navigating toward holiness and righteousness, but rather as a culture and society, sin moves one direction and that's further and further and further away from the truth. And Paul is warning Timothy here, hey, listen, don't get caught up in this culture. I want you to know that difficult times are coming because the world is gonna drift further and further away from what God's truth has to say about how life should operate. And this is instructions for us as well. Now, I want you to notice what Paul says next. Paul then tells Timothy this. He says, now listen, if you're gonna live godly in this culture, it's gonna come at a cost. Suffering is coming, persecution is coming, it's gonna be costly. And then he tells Timothy, I want you to follow the example you saw in me. You saw how I faced suffering and persecution and I want you to follow my example. But then he gives him these words found in verse 14. Listen to this. He says, but as for you, in other words, he describes the culture, describes the world, and then he says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. The sacred writings is, a, is the, the picture of the scriptures, the holy scriptures, the word of God, the Bible. He says this, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So in essence, Paul is telling Timothy, in that culture, you need to become a Bible open disciple. He is reminding Timothy, hey, listen, as for you in this godless culture that's drifting further and further away from truth, always learning, but never able to comprehend the truth of God's word. He says, but as for you, you stay firm and hold on to what is true. You stay biblically grounded in the scriptures that you have been taught in that have given you the wisdom to know the salvation of the gospel and that's gonna help you live the life that God's called you to live. And listen, Paul's instructions to Timothy is also Paul's instructions to us. Living and navigating through this godless culture that's gonna tell us 14 different ways that we should go and live our life and under every subject under the sun, try to instruct us on how we should live this life. Here's what Paul says to us. But as for you, stay biblically grounded. Be Bible-open disciples who are firm in the faith, who hold on to the scriptures, which are able to point us to the gospel of Jesus and help us understand what life is supposed to be lived like. This is the point that Paul is making. Now, this shows us the context of verses 16 and 17, because here's what Paul does. Paul tells him, be biblically grounded, and then he's gonna tell them in, him in verse 16 and 17 why this is important 
to stay biblically grounded. Look at what he says in verse 16 and 17. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. How much of scripture is God-breathed? All scripture is, God, is, is, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly or completely equipped for every good work. So Paul is giving Timothy an answer of why it is he needs to be biblically grounded. Why should Timothy be a Bible open Christian? And I'm gonna give you three truths that Paul gives Timothy about the Bible that gives him reason to become a Bible open disciple. So this morning, I want you to write these down because our heartbeat here at New Beginnings is to raise up an army of Bible open disciples. So let me give you three reasons why you should live this way. Number one is this, the Bible is God's word. Now there should be an amen there. That was solicited, so it doesn't count, all right? The Bible is God's word. Now I know you're like, well, that's kind of elementary, but is it? Like, is, is this elementary? Because I don't think, when you look at the life of most Christians in America, this is like, like earth-shaking here. And even for those who would say amen and affirm this, we don't live like this is true. Listen, the Bible is God's word. This landed on me in a fresh way this week as I studied, prepared for this. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, all scripture, every bit of it, this is talking about the Bible, is breathed out by God. The word breathed there is a compound word in the original language. It's this idea of theos nustos. It's this this, uh, God breathed or God exhaled. The imagery here is that of Genesis when God breathed life into the nostrils of Adam. The very word of God is what spoke creation into existence. And so what what Timothy is saying is is that when you read the Bible, because it's breathed out by God, it is God's very word. It is alive. This is why the the writer of Hebrews would say, the the word of God is living and is active and is sharper than any two-edged sword. Like this word is the living, eternal word of God. So when you hear God's word, listen to this, you're hearing God. So just a moment ago, when I read to you the first few verses of, of, of uh, this, this letter of, of chapter three, when you were listening to my voice, read this, listen, it wasn't my words that you were hearing. It was the voice of God. And you say, wait a second. I thought, um, I thought Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. Like how do we hear the voice of God if Paul was writing? Well, Peter clears this up for us in 2 Peter chapter Number one, verse 20, here's what he says. He says, knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, it didn't originate in the the person speaking. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so here's what Peter is showing us, that when you listen, like reading Paul's letters, while Paul wrote this and penned this, God is the one that spoke the words to Paul. That when we're reading the writings of Paul, God spoke through Paul to us. So whatever is written in the scriptures might have been penned by man, but it was spoken by God. This is crucial for us. This is not man's word. This is the living word of God. I love what Eugene Peterson says about this. This truth is so profound. He says, the Christian's interest in scriptures has always been in hearing God speak, not in analyzing moral memos. 
And I think this is the approach that so many of us take to the Bible is that we're there to look for a promise. We're there to look for a command. We're there to look for, you know, is there a truth that, that we need to know? Now, listen, some of you, that language sounds familiar because that's a part of our discipleship strategy. Like when you're doing your, your, your reading, your Bible reading plan that we provide here, we're telling you, you need to ask certain questions like this. Is there a promise? Is there a truth? Is there a command? Is there something God is revealing about my life that I need to see? So when we're asking those questions, listen, we're not just generally asking, is there a command? We're saying, has God spoken a command to me? We're not just generally asking when we read scripture, is there a truth for me to know? No, is there a truth that God has spoken that I need to know and believe? We're not just asking, is there a, is there a general promise in here? No, no, is there a promise that the God of the universe has spoken to me through this book that I need to rest in knowing his character? So listen, the goal is not to just read the Bible. Being a Bible open Christian, it's not just reading the Bible. It is recognizing that when we're reading the Bible, we are hearing the very words of God spoken to us. You come with a greater intensity. This is the word of God. Like we, we need to read it and cherish it and hold on to it. And can I get on a soapbox that's not in my notes? And like, and this is, again, I'm gonna say this. Some of you are gonna feel like really guilty, like I'm looking at you. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. All right, bring your stinking Bibles to church. Hello? Real quiet in here. Listen, listen, God's word, listen, this is God's word, bring it. Like this is, we're gonna open God's word and we open God's word and we're reading this, we're hearing the voice of God. Like we are so like, we've so kind of stepped out of the Bible being significant to our life that the place where we actually come to study and learn and grow, we can bring, say, well, I bring my phone. Listen, don't bring your phone. Bring your Bible. Bring, bring a copy of God's word. Mark in it, highlight it, write what God is saying to you. Do you wanna, one of the things I'm doing, this is a side note again, this is a free one, all right? One of the things that I'm doing right now, I go through a, a new Bible about every two years and here's what I'm doing. In my personal time and, in my, and when I'm writing sermons, I mark up, write notes, highlight, annotate in my Bible um, different things the Lord's teaching me, different things that I'm gonna preach in the text. And one of these days, my kids are gonna stand hopefully in this room in front of a casket with me in it. I didn't say soon, one of these days, that's what I was saying. <laughs> and somewhere in that, there are gonna be a couple of Bibles with my kids' names on it. I want them to be able to take that home and on their hard days, open it up and see the things that minister to their father, the things that the Lord spoke to me, places that I've been in the scriptures that I've highlighted that were significant in my life. You know why? I want them to know that their father was a Bible open believer. You can't get that from a phone. So bring your Bible. That was free. Let's move on in the sermon. All right, you ready? All right, so here we go. All right, so. Here's the point, listen, this has all kinds of implications. This being God's word has all kinds of implications. I'm gonna give you two this morning. Number one, the first implication is this. If this is God's word, then it's true. If this is God's word, then it is true. God doesn't lie, amen? And so you say, well, what about all the, the translations through the years? Listen, if God, listen, if, it's, if, it's, if he's a God that can create all that we know from his very voice, do you not think he can preserve his word? 
Like miraculously through history, and I don't have a time for an apologetics, that's not the purpose of the sermon, but I could show you and verify just the miraculous way that this book has been preserved through the ages, that it is trustworthy and reliable, that this is the inerrant, inspired, infallible, living, active word from God. And it is true from Genesis to Revelation without question, without fail. And it doesn't matter what culture believes or thinks or says is true. What matters is what does God say? Because when God speaks, he is incapable of telling a lie. And either all of this book is true or we can't trust any of it. You see, what we live in today is a culture that wants to define truth for themselves. If we don't like truth, we modify the truth and we go, there's your truth and there's my truth. So you do you, you be you, you do your deal. It doesn't matter really what God says. And so that was then, this is now, things have changed. Listen, the scripture says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means if there is something about life and morality, if there is something about marriage or, or my life choices that was true 100 years ago, they're true today. And they're gonna be true 100 years from now. It's an anchor for our life. It, it grounds us. When we're not grounded, we drift and we need truth in our life. This is what the world is longing for. By the way, here's what's amazing. You realize this, is the churches in America that are, that are growing at the most rapid pace. This is, this is mind-blowing. I'm like, churches that are seeing conversions and salvations are not churches that, that water down truth. It's churches who will, in grace and love, Hold to what is true. You know why? Because a dying, decaying culture understands the world's broken and they need to know where the help is. And this is fascinating. And, and by the way, let me just help you with culture. Culture will never be satisfied with you modifying truth. So the goal of culture is to get you to bend and once they can get you to bend, they know they can break you. This is why we have to hold true to the truth of Scripture. We have to be biblically grounded. So that's implication number one. Implication number two, God's word. If this is God's word, then it's authority for my life. It's the final say. It, it, it has the final say. There's no discussion. There's no debating it. There's no like, well, if this apply to me, does it not apply to me? Listen, God's word is authority over my life if it's God's word. If, if, we, if we say that God is who reigns above everything is sovereign over the universe, but I don't have to listen to his voice, and I don't have to obey his commands, then we truly don't believe that he's the authority of the universe. But if we believe that he is, and this is his word, that means whatever he says my life should be, that's my life. And I don't have the right to say, well, what about? Or I'm the exception, or culture says. See, this is the problem with culture, and I'm not anti-culture. We're here to love the culture. We're here to reach the culture, amen? But I'm just telling you, what we gotta understand is the culture is broken and it's lost and it's floundering without truth. And what the culture needs more than a church that compromises is a church who will walk in the grace and truth of Jesus. And it's grace and truth. If you have grace with no truth, what you'll end up doing is condemning people passively in their sin. If you have truth but no grace, you end up just, just pointing toward condemnation and they believe there's no hope. Jesus came with grace and truth. And we live in a culture now that wants to define truth by themselves, which means what? If I define what is true, I'm the authority. Remember, we're, we're, we've, been, we've been engrafted into a new kingdom and that kingdom has a king. 
And if that king has spoken to us, then whatever that king speaks to us, that is the way in which we live because his word and authority is final in our life. It's like this. I've done a lot of building the last couple of years from my house to some things in, in our house. And uh, I've got several uh, tools, but one of them that I use often when I'm building things is a level. I have all different size of level, depending on the size of thing that you're building. But what does a level do? A four foot level, if you put it out, uh, you know, you're measuring or you're, you're, you're seeing if a, a wall is, is, is crooked or is it straight or if you're hanging a picture, maybe a smaller level is used. But here's what it does. It, there's a bubble in the middle. And that bubble needs to line up perfectly between these two little black marks that are in the middle of this level. And here's the thing, that level never lies. Like, like wherever the bubble is, it, that tells you whether it's crooked or straight. And it's the final authority. Like you can't look back and go, ah, I think it's straight. Like well, you, you can say that, but it doesn't make it straight. Because if it says it's crooked, when you get up there and you look at that and the, the bubble's just kind of off to the left, that means it's off to the left. And this thing, something is out of line. It doesn't matter how you feel or how you perceive things. There have been times where I've hung stuff on the wall and I'm like, man, I did a great job. It is straight. And then someone comes and says, I think it's crooked. No, it's not crooked. And they go, but look at these. Oh no, those, those must be crooked. This is straight. And what do you do? Get the level out. One of us are gonna be wrong. Typically it's me. And then you come to find out what I thought was straight is actually crooked. What I thought was crooked is actually straight. That's the world we live in. Scripture says that in this broken world, what is right is gonna be considered wrong. What is wrong is gonna be considered right. And there's gonna be this opposition between truth and error. And how do we determine what is right? We have a level called the word of God. And it determines, listen, one of the things about a level that I love is that a level does not make something crooked. It just reveals that it is. And it shows us the place that it should be if it's gonna be straight. And that's what the word of God does for us. Which leads me to number two. Paul has three truths here. First one is the Bible is God's word. Here's number two. The Bible adds value to our life. The Bible adds value to our life. Look what he says again in verse 16. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It's a huge word there. Circle it, underline it. Here's what that means. The Bible adds value to your life. The Bible is beneficial to your life. Like when you're encouraged, like when, when the psalmist says, like, 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 like hide the words in, in, his, in your heart that you may not sin against him. When it says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, we're instructed to meditate upon the word and to memorize the word and to let it get embedded into our life. Here's why the scripture commands us to know the scriptures. Because it's beneficial to our life. Like it, it, it's what gives us direction in the world. Paul gives us now four benefits right here in verse 16 of God's word in our life. Here's number one, write this down. The Bible tells us what to believe. The Bible tells us what to believe. It's profitable for teaching, for teaching. So, and, and we're, we're swimming through a sea, by the way, of information. From social media to television to magazines, everything. Every, every time we turn around, there's somebody else's opinion trying to tell us how to think and what to do and how to live. Are you with me? Do you feel that? Like, I, there's so many voices in our head right now, we can't tell for what's up from down half the time. Even people we respect, we go, oh, that sounds right. And then we start looking at God's word and go, oh, no, it's actually not right. And here's what we're facing as a culture. We are, we are the most biblically illiterate generation of Christians that's ever walked the planet. You know what's shocking about that? 
There, we have more accessibility to God's word and translations of God's word and Bible study tools and resources of God's word than any other generation in the history of the church. And yet the church in America, by and large, is biblically illiterate. We have no way of discerning truth. And therefore, here's the problem. Most of us don't know what to believe about the world. This is why moms and dads, listen to me. If you're not instructing, if you're not seeing that through your teaching at home and through getting them involved in a church that teaches the truth to your children, do you realize the sea of information your kids are being taught every single day and then they're being jammed in a box of this, this unbelief that they can't even challenge it without being called a racist or being called a bigot or being called some other name that's out there. You're, you're, you're not tolerant. You're homophobic. You're, you're, you're anti those who would change it. You're transgender. You don't care about those needs. This is the world they're being jammed in. Listen, and I'm sympathetic to the real felt needs of the world, but listen to me. If our students are not gonna know what to believe, how can they ever reach the culture if they don't know what they believe? If we don't have an anchor for standing for social issues, that are very real in our culture. Like, like facing the, the, the conflict of racial divide that's real in our culture, if we don't know what God's word says about it, then we're gonna be swept into some things that are in our culture that are far from godly. If we don't know what God says about life, then, then in the world where, where now, if you, if you are are, are pro-life, then you must be anti-woman. Like, do you understand? Like, I know this is making some of you uncomfortable. Like, I'm not even supposed to talk about this publicly. You know why you feel so uncomfortable? It's because it's all you hear. How do you swim through this sea if you don't know what God's word says about stuff? You gotta know his word. It teaches us what to believe. Here's number two. It exposes sin and false teaching. The Bible exposes sin and false teaching. Like, and I love this, it's the word, word reproof or rebuke here. Uh, reproof and rebuke is this idea of exposing. We, we don't like rebuke in our culture because we, we take it as it's a harsh statement. Like when we are offended if someone says, hey, that's wrong. But man, we need this. I need this in my life, amen? I told you this way, I just confessed this morning. I've done a poor job in some areas of leading you on Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit rebuked me through his word this week. You know what? That was beneficial. Did it sting? Absolutely. But expose some things in my life that then enables, enables me to know, hey, this is wrong. False teaching. How do we filter the information we get? We gotta have something that we lay it over and then when God's word says something different than what culture says, what is it doing? It's rebuking, it's exposing what is false that we're taking in. I'll use this illustration. I, I talked about that level so what does a level do whenever you put it on a surface that's crooked? It exposes the fact that it's crooked, right? It doesn't make it crooked, it just says, hey, this is crooked. This is not straight, this is not level. Changes need to be made here. It's like someone breaking their arm. When they break their arm, they go to the doctor, what's the doctor gonna do? They're gonna x-ray, what is the x-ray there to do? The x-ray there, there is not to break the bone or to fix the bone, it's just to reveal whether or not there's a break there or not. And that's what the word of God does. It exposes. And here's what it does. The next thing it does, the Bible then restores us to God's design. This is about correction. Correction. And I love how these all go together. 
It teaches us what to believe. So when there's something that's wrong, it exposes the sin or the false teaching. So that, that exposes it, and then it doesn't just leave us there, it restores us to God's design. It says that's wrong, but this is right. So I love that the scriptures is a great parent. Great parents don't just rebuke their kids. Great parents rebuke and then correct. We always walk around like this as parents. Well, that's wrong and this is wrong and that's wrong and don't do that and stop doing this. Listen, that's great for your kids to know what they're doing is wrong, but how about this? Hey, Johnny, come here a second. I know this is the direction you're going, but that's not the right direction. Let me show you and help you find a better way. Isn't that good parenting? God's word, that's what it does. It comes alongside of us. It doesn't just go, hey, the arm is broken. The word here, um, correction, in the, in the Greek language, literally means to set right. To set right. So an x-ray machine will reveal that there's a break in the arm and then the doctor comes in and what does he do? He corrects it, he sets the bone into the proper position so healing can happen. Or if you go back to the construction metaphor, you know, whenever you have a wall that's not, that's not level, the level exposes it, but listen to me, you don't move the level to match the wall, you move the wall to what? Match the level. And so now the level then not just exposes, but then it corrects. So it can be set into the right position. And this is what the word of God does. When we're Bible open Christians, we are, we are learning what to believe and in that God's exposing what we believe that's not true or sin in our life that shouldn't be there. And as it exposes it, God loves us by his grace and mercy. Then he comes alongside and says, but this is the better way. This is the truth to believe. This is the path to go. This is what's right and what's gonna bless your life in the end. It doesn't just rebuke, it corrects. And then here's the outcome. The Bible trains us to live like Jesus. He says here, training in righteousness, training in righteousness. Um, the word righteousness here, it's important that we understand in the Bible, there are two different ways we can look at righteousness. When, when we talk about righteousness, that's ours. There's what's called imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is what we receive at salvation. So, so the gospel in a nutshell is this, is that we are unrighteous, we have sinned, we are not perfect. We can't fix ourselves. We are crooked and the level of God's word exposes that. But Jesus in his grace and mercy comes and lives among us and he lives a level life. He lives a righteous life. He's perfect in every way. He goes to the cross and he dies as a sinner. Even though he's righteous, he goes and receives unrighteousness so he can die in our place. And upon his resurrection, here's what he says. If you'll place your faith and trust in me, I will give you my righteousness. I will apply my perfection to your life so that when the father looks at you, he doesn't look at your busted up, broken down, crooked life. He sees the perfection of Jesus. That's imputed righteousness. Every believer who has trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior and have been born again, you have received the righteousness of Christ. Amen? But there's also what I would refer to as applied righteousness. And that is when this righteousness, this right life of Jesus that's been given to me I learn to conform to and I'm transformed so that I live like Jesus. So in the Father's eyes, because of the imputed righteousness, I look like Jesus. I'm clothed in his righteousness. 
But through the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God in my life, I begin to live like Jesus. So through the teaching and the rebuke and the correction, I'm being trained in how to live like Jesus. That's the end game. See, being a Bible open Christian is not just about reading the Bible. It's not just about looking and studying truth so I can go to class and talk about what the Bible says. The goal of reading the Bible, check this out, is for the Bible to read us and to show us the errors of our life and then redirect our life. This is why James uses the metaphor of reading God's word as like a man or a woman looking in the mirror. What is he saying there? When we look into a mirror, the mirror exposes and reveals the flaws in our life that need to be fixed and corrected. And he says a wise person doesn't leave the mirror and forget. They make adjustments so that they look like what they should be looking like. And this is when we get into God's word, when we're Bible open, biblically granted disciples, we are beholding the beauty of Christ through his word so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he transforms us so we don't just look at Jesus, we walk away looking like Jesus. And this is the power, listen to me church, this is the power of these, these, um, these postures of discipleship. It's a spiritual transformation. I want you to think about, just get the mental image here. This is what we've covered so far. Life of a disciple. Life of a disciple is this. It's eyes up, which means I'm, I'm focused on the kingdom. God, your agenda, your glory, your name above everything else. You're the one that I'm living for. Eyes up, and then it's knees down. And God, I can't do this on my own. I'm dependent upon your Holy Spirit to lead me and to guide me. I'm, I'm gonna live my life in the submission, trusting your Holy Spirit, listening to your voice, asking you to give me power that I need. And I'm gonna do so with my Bible open. Why? Check this out. It's because the Holy Spirit that we're dependent upon, that has been given to every Christian, he's the author of this book. He's the one who penned it. And so when we live with eyes up and knees down and our Bible open, the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us that we're trusting in and asking him to work, he then opens our heart and our mind's eye to understand a book that he wrote and he illumines our eyes so we can see the truth that God wants. And through this, this interaction of dependency, here's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the book that he wrote and he authored and he takes the life that's yielded to his control and the two begin to work in harmony so that transformation happens and listen, that transformation cannot happen unless we're eyes up and knees down and Bible open. This is where the life of transformation happens. Do you know, listen to me, believer, do you know the Holy Spirit wants you to understand his word? Do you know that? This is why spending time in prayer and living knees down and Engaging the Holy Spirit in your life allows you, when you go to God's word, the goal isn't to read, it is to hear the voice of God that then is able to transform us. So it's like this, you get into the word so that the word gets into you. And that's what transformation, that's what transformation means in our life. Which leads me to number three. Number three. The Bible prepares us to live on mission. The Bible prepares us to live on mission. Look at verse 17. He says, that the man of God may be complete, equipped 
for every good work. Now, when he says the word that there, this is, and you wanna circle a, a great word in your Bible, that, even though it seems small, is important because it's what's called in the Greek language a henna clause. Henna is this idea of purpose. So he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It's beneficial for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness, for the purpose that the man of God, for this reason, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The, the phrase man of God, remember he's writing to Timothy, who is the pastor of these churches. Another way of interpreting this without losing the power of the text is so that the servant of God, so the servant of God, so whatever God has called you to do, which by the way, everyone in this room has a calling, Here's what he says, so that the servant of God may be complete. The word complete there means mature. Lacking nothing. Now that's a, a work in progress, amen? But that's the end game, is to be mature. And then he says this, equipped. Some translation says thoroughly equipped. That's the emphasis there. Completely equipped for every good work. The, the every good work phrase here is important because he's saying, he's reminding us that every single day, there is a kingdom platform you live on, a kingdom platform that I have. Through the daily interactions, there's a calling on your life. So you've got a greater purpose in your day than just getting up and going to work and making a paycheck. You've got a greater purpose than just being the Uber for your kids, amen? Hello? I literally, I wanna change my first name to ATM, my last name to Uber, all right? Because that's what I am to my family half the time, my kids at least. but there's a greater purpose for our life. When you get up in the morning, listen, there's a greater purpose for your life than just going to the job, whether you love it or hate it. You have a mission where you live, work, and play. There is a kingdom platform, and here's what the scripture says. Go back to that verse. It says that, that the, the person of God, the servant of God, may be complete, equipped for everything that God is gonna put in your path today. When you go to the restaurant this afternoon after church, there's a waiter or waitress, they're gonna be at your table. You're not there for the food, but you're gonna eat. God has placed them in your life. Maybe it's to bring encouragement. Maybe it's to share the gospel. Maybe it's to simply pray for them. Maybe it's just to be kind and know their name. Maybe the Holy Spirit tells you tip 40% because there's a need that you don't know about that he does. How are we able to be in those positions? Eyes up, knees down, Bible open. We learn how to live in this life that God has called us to live. And I love this completely equipped. And the word equipped here is, the idea is fully outfitted. Or another way of saying it is custom fitted. So college football season is here. Anybody glad about that? That's what I did yesterday. I watched a lot of football. It was so great. But here's the thing that I know about college football is that those players that played yesterday, they didn't begin to prepare for their game yesterday morning. In fact, they started to prepare for that game yesterday, the day after last season ended. And they have been training and lifting and honing their skill and working out and going through everything the coaches have led, led them to do all the way this month, listening to the instructions, going through the process. And then before the season started, they were fitted for their uniform, the right size helmet, the right shoulder pads and, and the gear that they needed. Everything, every player may have a little different piece of equipment for the tasks that they have. But on game day, they were ready. Why? Because they've been trained and, and prepared and they've been equipped and now they're ready for battle. 
church family, you realize that every day there is an opportunity for you to get in the game of advancing the gospel of Jesus. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I wanna be game day ready when God calls on me? Amen. How do I get there? You gotta be a Bible open disciple. So knees down, it's Bible open. And I'm ready. Pastor Jim Simbola said something profound to a group of us. We were at the little table and having dinner and there was a question one of the guys asked. He said, Pastor, you're 79 years old. You're still going strong. How do you do it? Like what keeps you fresh? Pastor Jim literally took a deep breath, <clears throat> kind of dropped his head. He got real serious and he said, there are families in my community being destroyed by fentanyl. of the kids in my church are part of fatherless homes. There are women abused in our community every single day. Our kids are being taught immorality as kindergartens, as a way of life. And he just went on and on for about 15 minutes and then he stopped and he looked up and he said, and that truth breaks me and it drives me to my knees And I have to get into God's word because he says, I realized something, I have nothing to offer. And then he said something that blew our minds. This is one of the most respected men. He will go down in the history books. Your grandkids are gonna read stories about Jim Cimbala. And he says, guys, I'll be honest with you. He says, I minister out of a deep sense of brokenness and failure because I have been in this city for all of these years and the city is just as lost today as it was the day I started. He said, so that drives me to my knees. It drives me to the word. And then he made the statement, how in the world could I not be fresh living like that? And then he reminded us of something I didn't really catch reading the Bible. He said, how many sermons that was preached in the book of Acts were sermons where the pastor sat down and wrote the message. He says, zero. He said, these men and women lived, he didn't use these words, but here was this picture. They lived knees down. They lived eyes up. They lived with Bible open. And whenever God said now, they were ready. He said, the day Peter preached and 3,000 people, he had no idea he was gonna preach that day, but he'd been in a a 10-day prayer meeting and he knew the word of God. So therefore, when he steps out and the people are going, what's happening here? He goes, hey, let me tell you about this. And he begins to walk them through the scriptures and he begins in the power of the Holy Spirit to call them to salvation. And God used him in this miraculous way. No Bible training formally, formally, but he knew the word of God because he was a knees down and a Bible open Christian and full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I just tell you, you're no different than Peter. I'm no different than Peter, except for maybe we're not as knees down. We're not as Bible opened. But if we were, imagine the possibilities of what he could do in your life. Amen.
How many of you this morning would just say, hey, man, I'm encouraged today to get in my word. I'm encouraged. Raise your hand if that's you. I wanna challenge you with something. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna do announcements and get out of here. I'm gonna challenge you. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, you got to the next steps and get the Bible reading plan. Okay, if, if, if some reason they run out, it's online on our website. Bible reading plan, chapter a day. Spend a few minutes in prayer, knees down, and then, then open God's word, not to read it, but to hear God speak. And ask him to read you as you read the word. And let's just start there, amen? Father, I love you. And I pray this over our people, use them powerfully as we become disciples that live like this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.